2: Hi, welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I'm Maureen Metcalf, your host. I am the founder and CEO of Metcalf & Associates. I work with leaders and their organizations, identifying the trends that will be most likely to disrupt their businesses and help them develop business strategies and business and leadership practices to leverage these trends to create strategic advantage. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author of an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organizations. I'm an adjunct faculty member at universities in the US and Germany. And today I am broadcasting live from the Global Ties Conference. And our guest is Farah Amir. She is the executive director of the Georgia Council of International Visitors. It's a nonprofit in Atlanta that serves all of Georgia. And their mission is to create bridges and ties between Georgia's citizens and the rest of the world. She focuses on creating grassroots dialogues that are authentic and intended to build connection between diverse people. This process enriches the lives of people in Georgia and around the globe. So as we think about innovating how we lead, we're certainly in an era where the political landscape is changing, technology is changing, how we interact with one another, the volume of information that we have, and the options we have. for many people that provides amazing opportunities we can cure diseases that were not possible and yet it also presents other risks and promotes fears among real people because they're dealing with things they haven't had to deal with before so as a leadership show my invitation my goal is to present information that we may not have had before and help us think about some of these challenges in a different way so i chose to attend the global ties conference in part because it's something i didn't know enough about and as in the u.s we're talking about walls and bands and national security and what really does promote safety and I have friends who are worried and I have other friends who are angry and so I personally wanted to understand where does safety come from and so I've interviewed military leaders and now I'm spending some time at the Global Ties conference and Vera has left a corporate job to take this role with the council specifically tell us a little bit more why you took the job and why you're passionate about this
3: Sure. Well, thank you, Maureen, so much for having me today. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here and to speak with you. Yep. As you mentioned, I, uh, I'm i from Atlanta, Georgia. I was, I was raised in Atlanta, fond, very fond of my city. What I've noticed living there my, my whole life, that the attitude and direction of our international presence has changed, and it's changed in a really positive manner. So both through the city of Atlanta and the state of Georgia, it's really been an initiative to create a more international and diverse community, okay. which is fantastic and a wonderful place for me to grow up. I personally mm-hmm. um, I am a product of two very, very different cultures. My mother mm-hmm. is from Spain, from southern Spain, and my father is from Pakistan. So cultural exchange, understanding, but mostly uh, support and encouragement has always been very important to me in my life. You know, having been able to travel when I was younger and participating in study abroad and other exchange programs growing up. I knew that I wanted to have some kind of position or work where I could encourage and show how important and how much people's mm-hmm. lives are enriched mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. having these opportunities, and I just I didn't quite know where that was going to fit. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, about six, seven months ago, I was offered with this opportunity to work with an organization that's goal is to do exactly this, to show how powerful an exchange program can be for both our international visitors in terms of how they view the U.S., which you mentioned Mm -hmm. is very important in this day and age, and then also for Mm -hmm. how our Georgia citizens, how we can enrich their lives and educate them Mm -hmm. on what an international world should look like.
2: So one of the things that's been coming up a lot in the conversations here and the, the conversations that I'm part of everywhere, it seems like, is the concern for radicalization. Sure. And if we let people in who look different than us, which your parents did sure. at yeah, not a, a generation ago, and they probably scared people too. I talked to someone this morning who's family was from Ireland at one point they were scary immigrants and again I'm not making a political statement I've really been on a quest to just understand so I'm not advocating but wanting to explore this topic of why is it helpful to build these bridges? You, you're you dedicating right now your life's work to this, sure. so you see value in it.
3: Absolutely. You know, I will say, and, and I, you know, just in full honesty, my father is probably one of the most, most loving of America and the opportunity that it has provided for mm-hmm. him. And he's been a small business owner for over 30 years and has wow. been able to really support a wonderful life and family for us. Mm-hmm. And he will freely say that, fortunately, he's never actually experienced any kind of, um, Racial pushback or difficulty. My mother, uh, who's a brilliant woman, and ended up doing her university here, um, it, or in Atlanta, excuse me. She, on the other hand, definitely has had a little bit of a different experience in terms of how comfortable she feels with an accent. So when oh. she speaks, she feels that you know sometimes people don't understand her, aren't giving her enough attention to want to understand mm-hmm. her. Mm-hmm so you know just at the home level uh you know i understand you know knowing that my family as far as i was concerned were american we live in mm-hmm. america we thrive in america we we work for america but people maybe weren't actually seeing us like that mm-hmm. um and what you know what their impressions were weren't necessarily what i believed their impressions were to be mm-hmm. and it was the the older I got, the more I learned about it, it was it had most more than anything to do with the fact that a lot of our Georgia citizens or a lot of people in the US just don't actually have exposure to different cultures and different mm-hmm. diversity. Mm-hmm. So by allow doing programming through the international visitors that visit, we give people this opportunity to really change that perception. So you give Georgians
2: the chance to see global citizens or citizens from other parts of the globe. And you give people from other parts of the globe the opportunity to meet people in Georgia.
3: That's exactly right. And what we do, in particular with uh, the Georgia Council for International Visitors, (GCIV), is we purposely do community programs on different levels. So we'll start with a K-12 initiative, which actually Hmm. we're very proud. We won the governor's... um, International award a few years back because of this K through 12 initiative that brings these international visitors into public schools, particularly areas that maybe do not have a lot of diversity, mm-hmm. and have this. Today I met dialogue where they learn about a culture, um, they get to speak with somebody from this country that maybe they've seen on a map but they've ne- absolutely never had any opportunity to engage with, and so they they see a real human person. Exactly, that's exactly right. And they you know hopefully they come out enriched and excited mm-hmm. about what they've learned or about you know the this different kind of food that they hear about, or this this special turbans. dress that they're wearing. Yeah, exactly. Like, what do turbans mean, and why do you wear them? And they're different colors. Is there exactly. a reason, or is it a fashion choice? But he was a really nice guy, right? Yep. He wore a turban, but he was a very nice guy, and we had a really great dialogue. Not maybe not exactly what I had seen on that movie I watched the night before. <laughs> um, yeah. So so through that, and then we also, uh, you know, moving forward, we offer a lot of different community programs, whether mm-hmm. it's you know, just um, very relaxed dinner opportunities where you welcome these people in your house and you have these conversations that are complete, there's no agenda. It is just mm-hmm. two people getting to know each other and getting to learn more about each other. Or on an educational basis where we're offering a lecture series to 350 people about what, what the U.S. government considers the most important international topics. Of, of the time. Oh, wow. So th- there's a large spectrum, however, everything is definitely focused on making sure that we're delivering honest but authentic uh, opportunities uh-huh. for exchange and cultural understanding. So when you say exchange, it's dialogue.
2: Uh, yeah, we get yes, to talk to people. At the level, it's
3: dialogue, okay. yes.
2: And when I say dialogue, I don't mean conversation, mm-hmm. I mean I listen with an open mind and an open heart to somebody different and I'm open to changing my point of view about them.
3: That's exactly right.
2: Or informing myself if I didn't have a point of view.
3: Exactly, and uh, the majority of the visitors that we host is through the International Visitors Leadership Program, Uh which is the premier um, professional exchange program from the U.S. Department of State. And what the beautiful part about that is it's it's so incredibly far-reaching for our Georgia citizens. Mm-hmm. Uh, these visitors come into Atlanta, they spend the day meeting with their professional counterparts. So having an exchange, a professional exchange, where they're mm-hmm. talking about best practices and uh, you know making relationships that they're able to continue once they go back to their respective countries and continue working on projects together. Uh, but we also, then take these emerging leaders everybody mm-hmm. that participates mm-hmm. in the international visitors leadership program are handpicked by our u.s embassies by our ambassadors so these are just incredible minds incredible change makers and leaders of their countries we get to allow access to mm-hmm. to our to our georgia citizens and um you know it's just it's such a rare opportunity mm-hmm. you can You can watch a movie or you can go to a class in your university and learn about these things but to Mm -hmm. actually have the opportunity to engage firsthand is not something that you easily find. This
2: morning I got to interview two people, Yasmin and Rebecca, and just to sit down with somebody and their hair is different or their outfits different or something and listen to the amazing things as rebecca talked i think you were probably at the lunch talked about the supreme court case that changed the marriage age for women in tanzania yep. and how that impacts poverty it will it could impact the entire national gdp sure. when we start educating girls that's pretty phenomenal and she's not even 30 yet
3: yeah she yeah she's she's remarkable uh however she's also not however she is remarkable but that she's also a reflection of the type of caliber of person that comes mm-hmm. through this program so the type of caliber of person that we're allowing are mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. of the u.s because these mm-hmm. visitors go to many different cities um to have access to in atlanta in particular you know uh, we we are the the birthplace of dr martin luther king jr and mm-hmm. considered kind of the home of the civil rights movement so we get a lot of these incredible uh change makers and social activists that come and want mm-hmm. to you know Feel the, feel the the, fabric that we have in Atlanta mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. changes that our leaders were able to make and take that home with them. Mm-hmm. But you know, just incredible individuals that, if it wasn't through exchange programs, would never come to the United States. Most of the time, it is their first time visiting mm-hmm. the United States, and impressions are changed within hours, I would say.
2: So one of the things I heard on NPR this week is half of Americans don't have passports. Yep, I believe that. <laughs> so it is through programs like this that Americans get to meet people outside of the U.S. Yeah. and have those experiences. Because many of them, uh, hopefully, many of them after these experiences will get passports and go visit. Yep. But many, many economically can't, yep. or they have health issues, or any number of reasons. Or they that just they can't j- jump on a plane.
3: They don't know. They don't know that they might be interested in learning mm-hmm. about what's outside of you know their. Mm-hmm. 10 mile radius and that's mm-hmm. very true if, if that isn't something that you grew up understanding then that makes sense i this was this i have to say this was before i started with the georgia council for international visitors but i heard this wonderful story about a visitor that we had from belarus and uh it kind of just showed how this is opposite as well Not mm-hmm. not just americans not understanding um, different cultures, but uh, a visitor from Belarus who was a participating in an American Libraries program, so mm-hmm. he was a librarian, and we were asking him, you know, how how is your trip going? What do you think? And he was like, it's fantastic, really, really great time, but I was expecting to see everybody in cowboy hats. He <laughs> genuinely thought, because of the movies, mm-hmm. that that was what he was going to see in America, mm-hmm. and just, mm-hmm. you know, was Shock and awe that Atlanta was this city of diversity and uh, not very many cowboy hats. <laughs> Probably not any cowboy hats. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, and if even that, even that simple kind of change of mind can have an incredible ripple effect mm-hmm. um, for long-term citizen diplomacy, for long-term policy change, and mm-hmm. you know, countering any kind of any kind of core decisions that could have been made in the future. So I um,
2: went to Tanzania, climbed Kilimanjaro, a- and subsequently our climbing guide came to the U.S. and I hosted him, as, as did other people. So he went around, and it, it was fascinating because they don't have big box stores and they don't they don't have stuff like we have stuff. Sure. Yeah, you know, many of the hiking guides don't own hiking boots, sure. right? And they're climbing mountains. That, this is what they do for a living. Mm-hmm. they do not boots. They're just not available. Mm-hmm. In fact, we flew in and there was an airline strike. And so several of our people didn't get their luggage. And there wasn't an option to go buy hiking boots. You couldn't go down the street yeah. and pick them up. Mm-hmm. And so it was just fascinating to watch him experience and explore... But the world is very different here in ways he just hadn't imagined. And you're right. It's just this face-to-face. We were in his country and hosted, and I got to meet people of the Maasai traditions and all kinds of different backgrounds. But also, you know, it was fascinating, our guides, the people working in the hotel. Because of the strike, I was in the hotel by myself for three days before people showed up. Oh, wow. Or two days, something like that. And so I got to know the waiters and the house cleaners and folks. And even as an introvert, I, you know, struck up a conversation. So one, they spoke English. Mm -hmm. Two, we emailed each other. Some of them I'm still emailing with. And this was 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. And and so I hear Americans at times say, well, I couldn't do that because I don't have whatever. These are people who get on a bus and go for an hour to an internet cafe to email people around the world. Absolutely. It's, not, it's not like they're just trying to email me. But just a different perspective. Absolutely. And the ability to get stuff done. Absolutely. You know, and, and we think people don't have stuff, so they're less fortunate. And my travels, that was one of the things I learned is less stuff doesn't equal less fortunate.
3: I, it should have. Yeah, it absolutely should up. Yeah, no, you're, you're exactly right, I think. Not to say we necessarily take it for granted, but in America, we are so fortunate, and we do mm-hmm. way of life for some people is much easier than for a lot of people in other countries. Well, yeah, we get clean water. Ah, yeah, bare minimum, right. right? I mean, that is, unless you unfortunately live in Flint, Michigan, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in but general, you know, the, your basic necessities are almost, are you demand your basic necessities from mm-hmm. America, and mm-hmm. if you don't get it, 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 it's a it's a big issue, however all over the world. That just is not the case and however, that being said, I will say a lot of times in these exchange programs our visitors do come expecting America to be this mecca of everything incredible mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Costco's everywhere and, <laughs> and, you know, no poverty, no homelessness. Mm. And, they, and they actually get to see the true America. They get to mm-hmm. see that we, too, have social issues. We, too, have poverty issues. We have children that need more help than they're able to get. And they start to realize this, again, is where we start to realize that our differences really aren't that different. And mm-hmm. that, you know, whether it's color of skin or language you speak, there's so many things that at our base, most basic root we all want for each other and that is how different prejudices are counteracted and how we realize that essentially we're, we're all human beings and we're all meant to be happy and live a good life. And that's that's what we all deserve.
2: It seems like most people want to raise their kids in a safe, healthy environment. They want them to be educated. They want you know whatever variation of marriage and having children and having a family and, and going on, growing up and being productive citizens. In those ways, the differences seem minor.
3: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Right? Yeah. Oh, it's true. And, and I think, you know, for, for the International Visitors Leadership Program in particular, we are providing building blocks for these countries that might need a little bit more help or need, mm-hmm. want to come mm-hmm. here and kind of see how our best practices. Mm-hmm. However, it also benefits us tremendously in terms of being able to kind of understand we've always had it like this. This has always been easy for mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. But let's look at this through a different color shade of glasses and see, you know, how our efforts can impact communities that maybe we haven't necessarily been looking out for. So
2: who inspires you, like, on a tough day? On a tough day. Because I'm sure you have them. Yeah. We all have them.
3: Absolutely. (laughs) Especially lately, you know, it's, again, I'm fortunate that Atlanta, particularly the city of Atlanta, definitely wants a diverse and internationally full environment. But lately, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. people don't necessarily see the benefit in mm-hmm. offering funds abroad when we have our own issues here. Or, you of know, course. Maybe. So there's definitely issues. I think our story sometimes is a little bit harder to tell than other nonprofits or other charities where mm-hmm. people can have more of a, they can feel the impact a little bit more.
2: Well, certainly, the, the direct impact of food pantries. Exactly. Feeding our neighbors versus something that's a longer-term investment. It's very
3: much a long, it's long-term in terms of public policy and and what we hope what the state department hopes mm-hmm. to achieve but i think the we do have a lot of short-term benefits mm-hmm. in terms mm-hmm. of the opportunities we're offering our community mm-hmm. while the visitors are there but yes you are correct it, it's definitely it's a different it's a different story mm-hmm. and and that's mm-hmm. what makes advocating for exchange and cultural understanding programs to be a little bit more difficult mm-hmm. um so yes hard days who inspires me my gosh absolutely my parents my parents are a huge inspiration they just being international themselves but uh, mm-hmm. being two of the most open and honest and friendly people to everybody mm-hmm. I grew up mm-hmm. you know there there was never a prejudice in my home if you imagine my Muslim father married my Catholic mother so oh, <laughs> they, that's they, interesting. They have, they've always had the biggest of hearts my sister as well my sister is a tremendous force when she believes in something she will advocate and fight for it with all of her being so how did you figure out what religion you were? Did they pick for you? No, they offered us opportunities to engage in both, and when we hit an age that they felt like we were able to make our mm-hmm. decisions, they they allowed us that. So well, that's pretty yeah. cool. And and both of them, you know, are are their religion, they would never denounce it or or choose otherwise, but they're respectful to anybody and everybody's different opinions, which is good, right? (laughs)
2: It's it's, it's interesting because I have friends who, close friend of mine, one parent was Muslim and the other one was Mormon, and one converted. Sure. And I I know a lot of people who do the conversion process. So it's interesting that as we talk about respecting differences, there was no expectation of change but of truly respecting and not not asking you
3: to be different absolutely yeah i mean you know they say love has no love has no boundaries right and i think that's also how we should perceive our neighbors and perceive mm-hmm. our global neighbors you can always find a similarity no matter how many differences you have and if we work more on finding that similarity and encouraging mm-hmm that conversation instead of the negative one, which is what Exchange allows for, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. then you know a lot of these dangerous situations and dangerous fighting that we have maybe could be resolved. Well, we, change, if we need to change the conversation, which I think is the first what Exchange fundamentally is trying to do. They're trying to figure out what the best dialogue to have is.
2: You know, I heard, and I'm not going to get the words right, but I heard someone earlier today in one of the interviews talking about recognizing differences and pulling out the opportunity that this conflict creates. So instead of saying there's a conflict and this is terrible, instead saying there's a conflict, and yeah, most of us don't want conflict, (laughs) really. (laughs) And yet there's a time for us to find things and opportunities that we would not have had to find otherwise. We would not have had to find a new path forward because the one we were on, we didn't realize wasn't working. Absolutely. Or maybe it was working for a lot of people. And yet here we are. Yep. And the path is changing. And I think there is fundamentally in any change, in any transformation, whether I wanted it or not, I can either complain about it or find a positive path forward. Of course,
3: yeah. That's that's the hope, right? That we, we, we look to find the positive path. And I think with these kind of grassroots exchange programs that mm-hmm. you try and reach as many of your community members and as many of your citizens and state as possible, just allowing that, you know, 30-minute lecture or that 15-minute handshake at a at a lunch function is enough to make them start to think about changing that dialogue. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I originally was thinking one way but as we mentioned, we met this person, he wasn't so bad, (laughs) He had some interesting things to say. Maybe now that opinion is changing and then he goes home and he tells his three family members and friends about it Mm -hmm. and it's not the same kind of mega traction that you get from a politician or from a famous person that's advocating for something, but if enough of it happens and if enough people care about participating in that dialogue, then it it really, it, it makes an incredible impact especially at a community level. It just sounds
2: really powerful.
3: It should be. It, if, when done right and when supported, it absolutely is powerful.
2: Thank you. Thank I, so I want to end on that note. And Farah, thank you for being such an inspiration. You know, I really admire that you chose to leave a high-power corporate job to take this because of your family heritage and the impact you want to make on the world. It, it's just really an inspiration.
3: Well, thank you, but so I, thank I must you. say I'm, I'm fortunate to have the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you, Ma'am.
2: So just to wrap up the conversation with Farah and again, pull it back to why this matters for leadership. As leaders, we are all facing some tough questions and the world is changing, irrespective of which country we're in. We're facing new dynamics or different dynamics. And it's incumbent upon each of us to learn, to ask those questions, to meet people who look different than us. And most of us can't do an exchange program. Hopefully this radio show gives folks an opportunity to hear somebody they wouldn't have heard. You, know, they, you may not get to sit down and have a glass of wine with Farah, but you can at least hear the conversation. And I hope her choice to take this role, to be a leader in the community, to advocate for something she values deeply, is an inspiration to you as it is to me to find our own truth about what's happening. Again, in an environment that's so polarized and there is truth on both sides, right? There, there is truth in building bridges. There's also truth in being safe. And we each need to find what that looks like for us in a way that is also loving and supportive in building bridges and keeping our families safe. And for each of us, that path will look different. So again, I wanna thank you for sharing your story.
1: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment.
4: Today we are at the Global Ties International Conference, and this is part two of a conversation. We are now welcoming Fabienne Perlov. She has over 12 years of growing leadership experience in the field of public diplomacy, international development, and forced migration. Beyond her executive director role at the San Diego Diplomacy Council, she has leadership experience at the United Nations. French government and non-governmental organizations in the United States, Canada, the West Bank, Israel, France, Azerbaijan, Russian Federation, and the Caribbean area. She speaks five languages and holds a Master's in International Development Study. Fabienne, thank you so much for joining us.
5: Thank you, Maureen. It's a pleasure to be here and uh, to share some of my work and uh, passion with you. Thank you. How did you get
4: started in working in the area of diplomacy?
5: Well, I I grew up in France, and uh, at the age of 17, I went on an exchange program for a year to Russia. Um, And when I lived in a Russian family and studied at a local high school, I really discovered another culture, uh, another civilization, and a, a way of doing and thinking that was different to what I was familiar with. Um, so I returned to France, and I decided to, you know, uh, uh, be more involved. And the first experience really inspired me to learn more about the country and its people. And so I graduated a bachelor of arts in Russian literature and civilization, and went back to Russia and worked for six months for a non-profit organization doing HIV/AIDS prevention in Moscow. Um, but to be honest. The more I spend time working with nonprofit leaders in Russia, the more I realize I need to build professional skills and and knowledge to start a career in in diplomacy and international development. So I graduated a Master of Arts in International Development Studies, and later I had a great chance to utilize and expand my international experience working for the French government, um, specifically for the French Office for the Protection of, of Refugees, which is a a department under the Ministry of Foreign Affairs in Paris. So that's how it, it all started.
4: <laughs> so how then did you get to the U.S. and eventually start working for the San Diego Diplomacy Council?
5: Right. So, um, you know, when I worked at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs in Paris, I was responsible for interviewing thousands of uh, asylum seekers from post-Soviet Union and, and the Balkans. I was assessing their claim and determining their refugee status according to the nineteen fifty-one Refugee Convention and the European asylum norms. And it was difficult to hear the the alleged persecutions on a daily basis from the asylum seekers without being able to de- to do much more than making a decision on their claims. So after four years, I decided to go to the field. You know, this is a when we say in the humanitarian world, we go to the field, and I joined UNHCR in Israel, the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees. Um, the, the, the UNHCR office called me for assistance as uh, they were going through a crisis in Israel um, with thousands of Sudanese, Eritreans, and Ivorian asylum seekers coming through the southern border through um, Sinai into Israel. So I jumped in and I uh, helped UNHCR and the Israeli government to uh, address the crisis and later on to build an asylum procedure in the country. Um, and and you know after three years of working for refugees from African uh, countries in Israel, I also wanted to understand the other refugee. Uh, issue in in the Middle East um, and in the region, which is the Palestine refugee issue. Um, You know, Tel Aviv and and the West Bank are very close uh, to each other. So I made my way to um, UNWA, the United Nations Relief and Work Agency in the Middle East, um, and I worked in the West Bank and East East Jerusalem for about two and a half years. Um, And there, uh, my responsibility was mainly to support the effective management of multi-million dollar protection projects um, that serve Palestine refugees, children, uh, uh, and the families and communities when they were at risk of forced displacement. Um, And, you know, after a few years working in the field, um, I also wanted to settle, to have a family and so I moved to North America with my husband, and uh, I moved to Canada. I lived in Canada for two years. I had two beautiful children. And uh, later we moved to San Diego to find some, uh, some sun and some quality uh, of life in the finest city in the United States. <laughs> so, um, you know, I guess working at the San Diego Diplomacy Council, for me, it's like, Going back to my roots, uh, 20 years after my experience as a high school student exchange in Russia, here I am. I have the chance to oversee an organization that inspires world leaders uh, and emerging leaders and San Diegans to experience the power of international, professional, cultural, and educational exchanges in the the San Diego region. So how
4: does your global work specifically tied to San Diegans. It it seems fascinating to me, especially as uh, we as Americans are exploring um, in various ways the impact of refugees, that you have this vast experience about how people migrate by choice and against their will um, because of um, issues in their environment. How What's the to San Diego and the value they get from the experience you have earned.
5: So at the San Diego Diplomacy Council, we bring about 600 international uh, emerging leaders um, to San Diego region each year. This is almost like two experts per day. So, uh, and those experts, those visitors, you know, they are business, government, nonprofit, and academic leaders, and they come from more than 130 countries. Um, and so when they come to the San Diego region, we really try to expand the mutual understanding uh, between them and their counterparts in, in San Diego, uh, but also to create a network of partners in the United States and around the globe that inspire each other, you know, and can work together to address common challenges. And you know, common challenges are, 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 there are many of them. But we can say that we, you know, our programs touch upon citizen safety, refugee and immigration like you mentioned, economic opportunities, social justice, and environmental sustainability. Um, But we, we not only do that, We know, we also promote cross-cultural engagement and, and try to build the global acumen in the San Diego community. And so we organize a lot of events. We do dinner, hospitality, home hospitality, so that really uh, the world comes together in San Diego. And, I mean, I can share some of our statistics uh, uh, around our alumni, the fact that over 335 current and former heads of states and many other distinguished world leaders in government uh, around the world are alumni of our exchange program. Uh, shows really the, the quality uh, and the power of international exchange programs. Uh, but I would say, you know, I'm a person who always tried to figure out how do we bring value uh, to uh, our leaders and the community, what is our local and global impact, and I see that beyond uh uh, the statistics, uh, the fact that we generate an economic revenue of about two point seven million dollars to the region in San Diego each year. Our visitors use, you know, our local hotels, transportation, and and and, and cultural uh, uh, sightseeing. Beyond the economic impact, we really uh, uh, generate a social and civic uh, impact capital. Uh, and, and and the easiest way to capture that is through offline conversations I have with our local and international participants. Uh, one of the programs we have is uh, a fellowship program where an emerging uh, leader who is an entrepreneur from Russia, from South America, can spend six weeks at a local company in San Diego. And uh, we've seen great... Uh, uh, value to this type of programs because uh, our international visitors learn about American values and societies and, and way of doing business. And not only that, but uh, the company who is hosting them has the capacity to travel to the country of the fellow and, you know, continue that collaboration on and on again. Uh, we had uh one of the companies in San Diego called and uh, they went to Saint Petersburg recently. The CEO of Hema Labs in San Diego went to Saint Petersburg and ended a course for uh, women startups in Saint Petersburg at the university, and and continued that collaboration. So it's it's very empowering in that regard.
4: Okay, so let me repeat back because again, I think especially in the current political environment around the globe, people are are pulling back and becoming more nationalistic and kind of wanting to take care of themselves and their own country um, at an increasing rate and be globally focused at a decreasing rate. So depending on the organization and the person, that varies. And so I think it's important to hear the kind of business case, for lack of a better term, for Continuing to invest in global relationships, and I'm not talking about the percentage of our time, but that they bring businesses that fill a need that we may not have been meeting ourselves. It creates a peaceful dynamic where we are interdependent, and so we're we're building revenue we're, um, on either side. Positive business relationships allow us to buy and sell our goods and services. It allows us to buy and sell natural resources to encourage our business, and it allows us to solve some of the cross-border issues that we wouldn't be able to address as effectively as a single nation. Am I capturing that, and what did I miss?
5: I think um, through the international exchange program that we administer we really create uh, strong partnerships and alliances between the United States, San Diego, and, you know, our allies around the world. Um, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, uh, I'll give you an example. We recently had a delegation uh, of young entrepreneurs from more than 18 countries around the world. And, you know, uh, when they come, we really make sure that they meet uh, different uh, leaders and actors in San Diego, so that they see the whole picture, they see the diversity of uh, uh, the economic, social, and political landscape in, in San Diego, and um, so that they forge relationship and and they understand better how does America work. Um, and what I haven't mentioned is that when they go back to their country, um, they continue working with our U.S. embassies. You know. Uh, often, actually, uh, as the executive director, I don't have so much information about uh, the great successes uh, of collaborations between our U.S. embassies and those leaders that are continuing doing the great work, you know, establishing economic partnership with um, with the, the United States, and uh, and not only the United States. I say the great and smart. Uh, policy behind the international exchange program, and especially the international visitor leadership program that is sponsored by the State Department, is that it also generates collaborations within the regions. For example, our delegations come from uh, a region in, in, in the Middle East, and those leaders are spending three weeks on an exchange program in the United States. So when they return home, they're not only friends of the United States, they are friends with their neighbors. And that is a great catalyst for uh, collaboration in, in the region and, and you know, for better influence, American influence. Uh, I I would be honest. I think it's a uh, uh, real leadership is not about, uh, you know, uh, Showing authority. It's, it's, it's about your capacity to influence the world economically, politically, and, and, and in terms of civil rights as well. So it has different, it has so many values in many words.
4: So as we have listeners who are both emerging leaders and senior leaders, one question is how would they get involved and who? Is this mainly for people who are international relations folks is it for people who run businesses or are young entrepreneurs who, if I'm looking at my resume, how would I know if this is even something that I should consider?
5: Right. I think it's for uh, you know, emerging leaders and senior leaders who are eager to uh, uh, make progress, to move forward, to push the needle forward in addressing common global challenges. Um, and you might want to understand better uh, the diversity of views and, and practices in the United States. You might want to uh, uh, build relationships with Americans, uh, but you also might want to, um, you know, have a break in, in your career. I would say, let's be honest, when we are a leader working in a complex situation in a crisis where uh, you're facing adversity like war, economic crisis or political unrest. You know, it's human to have moments of doubts, to be challenged, uh, to uh, to navigate between different uh, uh, contradictions. And so coming on international exchange program to the United States can help you to engage in a more dia- dialectical thinking, more than a contradiction you are able to not only share best practices with your business and community counterparts in the United States that are facing the same issue, maybe in a different context, but still, there is a lot of commonalities there. And so you are able to come and, and, and learn and share those uh, doubts, those contradictions, and together with uh, your counterparts in the U.S. To, 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 to find inspiration. I'll give you an example. Uh, recently, we had four Venezuelan activists and human rights defenders um, uh, coming to San Diego uh, in in October, last October. And during the visit, the group met with NGO leaders, government officials, and activists who work to increase civic engagement and reform the electoral process in the U.S. And one of the participants, um, uh, whose name is Daniel Permín. He's an activist and a social sociology professor in 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 Venezuela who is fighting for democratization in Caracas. Um, and Daniel, he's a leader, you know, who goes above and beyond for the future of his country and his people. But like any human being, any leader, he has moments of doubts. He's seeking for better solutions to move his country forward, and so. When he met in the United States, he shared many of those uh, uh, questions he had in mind with his counterparts. Um, and uh, it was interesting to, to, to hear him saying uh, afterwards that, uh, you know, he learned a lot during his uh, time in the United States. He, he, it really inspired him, but most important, it was also refreshing experience for him because it gave him new perspectives, more connections, uh, and it helped him to continue to be inspired as a leader. Uh, You know, I I feel like we have to remember the human nature of leadership. Uh, Let's forget the the glossy part of of leading an organization to find solutions. It's more complicated than that. And so those leaders, wherever you are around the world, if you need to uh, be more inspired, to to, to to seek more solutions, come and get together with your counterparts in the United States. That's what I would say.
4: So, how? What's the criteria? Who can? What do you look for when you are reviewing an application?
5: Right. So the way it works is that we have uh, uh, someone working, an International Visitor Leadership Program coordinator working at our U.S. embassies in more than 130 countries. And so uh, they will be able to uh, tell you if you are qualified for this exchange program. Everything is covered by the State Department uh, 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 once you are selected. And I will say um, our embassies uh, want to uh, support your goal you know, to promote peace, prosperity, and stability in your country, in your society, in your community. So if uh, this is something that you aspire and you have demonstrated great leadership, um, you should certainly contact our embassy. I would also say you can look at our website, the San Diego Diplomacy Council. You can look at Global Tide U.S. website for more information. Um, we we uh, uh, we we hope you can contact us as well. Uh, sure you have any more questions, and you know there are ways. I, I believe that international exchange programs uh, are uh, more fruitful well when they are in person. But we also have virtual exchange programs uh, whenever uh, it's difficult to to uh, to travel geographically. So. We recently have partnered with uh, World Learning, which is a, a, an organization in DC, doing exchange program, and we are going to do a digital uh, youth exchange program between Iraqi youth and uh, Sandigan high school students. So there are so many other ways, you know, to be engaged and to come together and learn from each other.
4: So it sounds like if I'm a high school student or a college student or an adult. I can work through my global International Visitors Council or Diplomacy Council and engage. So if I am someone abroad who doesn't have the funds to travel to the U.S., which could be in many cases absolutely prohibitive, and also if I'm in the U.S., like I have a niece who is studying international relations in university, this sounds like something that would be accessible to her as well that she could find, she's not in San Diego, but she would find her local council.
5: Exactly. I, I I think it's more than ever important that people come together no matter what is uh, the medium. You know, it can be uh, uh, within your uh, high school, it can be through our organization. We uh, organize regularly events that are uh, targeting different uh segment of the population, um, we organize global social hours where uh, international leaders can mingle and exchange ideas with our community in San Diego, we do also dinner and home hospitality, basically you can have an emerging leader from uh, uh, Sudan or from Russia at your dinner table and share stories, and, and you know, break the stereotypes about American Uh, uh, society, and vice versa, about Russian society, for example. Uh, And if you are a a leader around the world, uh, you can contact, as I mentioned before, our uh, embassies and see if there is an opportunity for you to connect with American people, American businesses, and and to uh, exercise this power of public diplomacy.
4: Thank you. You know, one story that's very impactful to me. We had a young man from Eritrea over to dinner. It was not through the formal council, but um, with some young kids in our in our family also joined. It was a beautiful opportunity and a lasting impact, even that was just dinner, for them to hear about how people live in other countries. And this was shortly after some uh, dramatic um, um, genocide so it, it was to hear firsthand what had happened in another country was interesting so I'm going to wrap us up and again for people listening who haven't been involved in international relations why should you care one we buy and sell goods internationally, if you look at the clothing you're wearing, probably part or all of it came from another country. Other countries support our finances, and our economic system is entirely global at this point, so money is flowing between borders even when people are not, that we trade in raw materials such as petroleum, manufactured goods, and even our mobile phones, and that we collaborate to solve global problems that don't respect borders, like pollution of oceans after a nuclear disaster. So there are many cases in our current world where we are impacted globally even if we're sitting in our houses or driving to our offices in a a city in whatever country we are, and it is not necessarily visible to us how much of our current way of life depends on immigrants, on flow of currency, and on flow of goods and services. So I really want to reiterate the importance of the work Fabienne is doing and the the folks at Global Ties and the 70,000 volunteers across the U.S. who work in these, who volunteer in... um, Diplomacy Councils and Councils of World Affairs and the many other host families, host dinners, who are heavily engaged. For folks who haven't had the opportunity to do that, I encourage you strongly to take the opportunity to engage, even if just once, even just if to explore it. And for many, I hope that this sticks as something that is compelling. So, this is Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. Fabian, what is your contact information in case someone is in San Diego and would like to learn more about the Council?
5: Simple. Uh, my email address is Fabian uh, at San I also encourage you to look at our website, San where you can find our contact details and all the information about the opportunities for you to engage as a, as a citizen diplomat.
4: Thank you. This is Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I hope you heard something today that you can put into practice in your ongoing life as a leader or a citizen diplom- diplomat or as a person who's actively engaged in your community and committing, committed to making it better. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope to see you here next week.